We've been exploring during this Lenten season holy habits, things that we can do that will help us grow closer to God. Spiritual disciplines uh, is another way of, of talking about holy habits. And it occurred to me that for every uh, holy habit that we practice, there's oftentimes a corresponding bad habit. So for instance, for everyone who practices the holy habit of fasting, there are probably a whole bunch of people who practice the bad habit of, of gluttony. For everyone who practices the holy habit of tithing, there are a whole lot of people who practice the bad habit of, of selfishness and even hoarding. And I think we've been seeing some of that going on, again, with toilet paper of all things. I've never, I've, I'm still not sure what's going on with all of that. But, but I think that looks like a bad habit to me. Um, for everyone who practices, as we're going to see today, for everyone who practices mercy, who everyone, for everyone who practices hospitality, there are probably a whole lot more people who practice uh, the bad habit of, of uh, judge, judgment, being judgmental and, uh, and, and excluding people. There's a, there's a word that has been kind of on my mind th this past week, I think for obvious reasons, and... Uh, and that word is vector. A vector is basically a point of contagion, right? We'd wanna be, we don't want to be a vector of, of bad habits. We want to be a vector of good stuff. Mosquitoes, for instance, are a, a notorious vector of, of disease, like, like uh, uh, malaria and West Nile virus. Human beings can be vectors, as we know, very as it's in the news right now. It's why we're washing our hands and using hand sanitizer. We can be vectors of disease. But there's another kind of disease to which human beings are prone. And interestingly enough, religious people are especially susceptible to this kind of disease. Uh, for those of us who are committed to our, our religious faith and our religious practice and to our rituals like gathering and going taking communion or doing all of these things that we, we practice, we are susceptible to the disease of, of hypocrisy, for instance, and to self-righteousness, and, uh, and, and also to the dis-ease of unhospitality. And, and what's, what's strange about this is that even though we've been called to take the good news and be a vector of the good news out in the world, oftentimes it's the folks who don't know Jesus that we are the, the least hospitable toward, which kind of means that we're not doing our job when, when we don't offer that kind of welcome, when we don't reach out to people in the way that Jesus has reached out to us. And, uh, and so that's a problem. For years, I've, I've seen this in, in, different, in lots of different ways, but in one place I've seen it is, uh, is in my participation in, in community ecumenical events. Like, for instance, uh, tomorrow I'm going to be a part of the, the Lenten lunch. If it, if it goes on as scheduled, uh, I sing with four other pastors, three other pastors, uh, and uh, we call ourselves KPQ, the Keokuk Preachers Quartet. And uh, we enjoy doing that. But I, for, for, I discovered a long time ago that there are churches that won't allow their pastors to participate in events like this. 
because they're afraid that if they do that, somehow they might be showing, unwittingly showing support for something that they don't believe in. So they're, they're more concerned about purity than they are about being a part of, of, of something, even if it's something with other Christians. And uh, you'd, you'd be surprised how many, how many churches practice that. And I kind of get that. I think we do need to be careful about who we spend time with. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians, he said, bad company corrupt, corrupts good character. I can remember when my, my kids were growing up, there were times when they'd bring somebody home and I'd think, okay, I hope my kid is being a good influence on this particular kid that they brought home. Other times they'd bring somebody home and I'm thinking, boy, I hope my kid's paying attention to this kid because this is a really good kid. Uh, somebody else once said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There's something to that. Who we spend time with can make a difference. But here's what I've learned from, from years of being a disciple of Jesus, and that is that we are called to be a vector of the good news. It is our job to go fearlessly into the world sharing God's love with everyone. And that means that it is our job to be a good influence on those around us, even those that, uh, that, that others might shun, even those that, that other, even other Christians might want nothing to do with. Living in a Christian bubble, kind of quarantining ourselves, and I, I'm not even talking about the coronavirus here, but quarantining ourselves in a Christian bubble feel, may feel like a safe thing to do and like a good thing to do, but, but, but that is not a faithful way to live. It's certainly not what Jesus did, and, and that's not what He calls us to do either. In our scripture reading for today, we're going to read about an interaction that Jesus has with the religious leaders of his day, those that were most concerned about, about purity, about keeping those bad influences out. And, uh, and this, uh, this interaction comes because they spotted Jesus once again spending time with folks that were considered unclean, outcast. Uh, he, was, uh, he was eating with, with tax collectors and with other known sinners. And this was a no-no for a number of different reasons. One, one of the reasons it was a no-no is because, because Jesus' purity would be affected. If you were defiled because of your contact with others, that means you can't go into the temple. It means you can't offer sacrifices like you, you, like you were called to as, as a Jew. I also think that the Pharisees saw this, and they also saw something else they didn't like. They saw Jesus having fun. They saw him laughing and having a conversation and, and, and really having camaraderie with these folks because he loved them. I, again, I'm kind of putting words in, in their, their, their mouths at this point, but I, I'm thinking that they were looking at him saying the least he could do is look miserable when he's with these people, right? But he didn't because he loved them. So, so we're going to take a look at, uh, at this, this text, which is found in Matthew 9, beginning at verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician 
but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Now, I have to imagine that this was a story that Matthew really loved to tell because this was his story. This was his call to be, uh, to be a disciple. He knew that, that had any other religious leader passed him by that day, they would, have not, they would have probably passed by on the other side of the street. They would have wanted nothing to do with him and nothing to do with any of his friends. But, but Jesus wasn't like that. Unlike a lot of pastors and politicians, and I include myself in this, Jesus was, he seemed to be almost immune to the things that people said about him, particularly other religious folks. He was immune to the things that people thought about him. He listened to one voice, and as a result of that, because of that, he became a vector of, of healing and a vector of forgiveness and a vector of love and mercy everywhere he went. That's who he was. In my life in ministry, I've tried to be a vector of the good news in the same way, but, but it isn't always easy um, operating in multiple worlds, right? We tend to talk a little bit about this last Wednesday night. We tend to compartmentalize, and I have my church folks and my work friends and my, my friend friends, and, and we kind of tend to compartmentalize, but, but Jesus wants us to be moving among them, and He wants us to bring the same love and the same faith in, in all of those relationships. And that can be hard to manage sometimes. There have been times, I'm sure, where I, I w- wouldn't want you to know too much about some of my friends from years ago uh, because of how that might reflect on me. And there have probably been times where I might not want other folks to know too much about my relationship with you. And, and just one example of this came to mind. I haven't warned Tammy about this, but years ago after my... Uh, after I, after I was divorced and I was single again and I, I really wanted to um, begin dating and I didn't go to bars, I, I really didn't have any other way of meeting people, so I signed up for something called Match.com. You may have heard of it. And, uh, and so I was putting my profile out there for the world to see and I had to figure out how I was going to communicate, what I was going to, especially what was I going to do about this fact that I was a minister. And so my, my first inclination was just to not put anything in there and just kind of spring it on them. If they, if they agreed to a first date, I'd just kind of spring that on them. But then I thought, well, maybe that's not a very good way to approach it. So, uh, so I included it, and, uh, and it nearly did. I'm sure it scared a lot of people off, but um, when Match.com asked me what I was looking for, I said, uh, I said that, and I, I still think this was pretty inspired. I said I was looking for somebody who would be as comfortable at a pub as they were at a potluck. And uh, needless to say, Tammy, actually, that was the perfect description of her. She was just as comfortable at a pub as she would be at a potluck, and we've been going to both ever since. <laughs> Now, I think Jesus would approve of that. Absolutely think Jesus would approve of that. He was just as comfortable sitting with a group of of spiritual teachers and experts in the law as he was meeting with a group of tax collectors and and other rowdy sinners. I, I, I think he was just as happy with that. What concerned him wasn't purity, religious, doctrinal, 
sacrificial. He wasn't, what concerned him was whether or not a person's heart was surrendered to God. Not all the other stuff that we want to add on to that. Which is why he says, go and learn what this means to the Pharisees. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And so, I, as I was reading and, and rereading these verses this week, I, I realized I had never really paid much attention, as much attention maybe as I should have, to these, to these words. Because as far as I know, this is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus says, quotes the Old Testament, and then says, I want you to go and figure this out to the Pharisees and anybody else that was listening. So I did. I looked it up. And actually what, what Jesus is quoting here is Hosea, the, the prophet Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6, where it says, God says, I want you to show love or mercy, another way of saying that, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want your burnt offerings. Um, somebody else, uh, another prophet by the name of Micah said something, something similar. Uh, he says, what does the Lord require of you? And, uh, and then, and then he, he offers some possibilities. He says, what do you want? Does God want rivers of oil? Does He want whole herds? Does He want my firstborn so that my sins might be forgiven? And of course, the answer to that is no. You already know what God wants. This isn't a mystery. God has told you again and again and again that you are to act justly and you are to love there it is again, mercy, and you are to walk humbly with your God. Hundreds of years before Jesus, the prophet Hosea had uh, condemned the people of, of Israel for, uh, for basically seeking to uh, uh, excuse their idolatry and excuse their oppression of the poor and all their other sins because they were doing all the right ritual stuff. Uh, and, and that's why he says, I want mercy and not sacrifices. Now, that's not to say that, that Jesus was opposed to sacrifices. It's not to say that the, the prophets were opposed to sacrifices. It's not to say that they were opposed to the law in any way. Uh, as a matter of fact, we know in, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, He says that if your heart is surrendered to God, if you're really where you're supposed to be, you'll not only meet the demands of the law, you'll go way, way beyond them. And so the message I'm, I'm hearing in all of this is that whatever we do, even the most pious and religious stuff that we do, is still only as good as the motivation behind it. Remember what Paul says in, in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, you can give away all that you have. You could sacrifice your body. But if you don't do it in love, it doesn't mean anything. Motivation matters. And mercy matters to God. Jesus said to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. Even though there's a whole bunch of stuff in the Old Testament about mercy, I'm not sure that the Pharisees got it. I'm not sure it was a priority for them. And I'm not sure mercy is much of a priority for us either, to tell you the truth. Unless it's mercy for me. That's another thing, right? 
good example of this. If I'm out on, if I'm out driving and I do, you know, I do something careless. Maybe I, I accidentally cut somebody off in traffic, or I start to change lanes and I don't realize somebody's there. It's not something I do on purpose, but I'm always a little bit surprised and disappointed when somebody acts really acts, uh, angrily towards me. And I, I always think to myself, why not give me a little mercy? I did, it's not like I did it on purpose. So, so what I'm realizing is that, uh, that what I want for myself is mercy. Oftentimes what I want for others is justice. Right? And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that feels that way. Jesus calls us out on that. That's, that's what He's doing here. He's calling us out on that. Uh, especially when we're more concerned about purity than we are about extending mercy and extending love to others. And He also shows us what that looks like in real life. It means caring less about our reputations, for instance, than it does about reaching out with God's love and welcoming others. It means being a vector, a, a point of contagion for love and for mercy and for healing and for transformation, no matter where we go or no matter who we are with. The prophets of the Old Testament called the people of Israel to live in mercy. That's what God wants, even before your burnt sacrifices and your burnt offerings. Jesus called the disciples to show love, and, uh, and of course, now it's up to us. We live in an age that seems more and more uh, committed to tearing others down and to spreading hatred and mistrust and, and all of that, that other stuff. So now it is up to us in this generation to discover the, the power of mercy and to pass it on. Jesus shared God's love with the whole world. And then He said to His disciples, and He says to us, go and do likewise. Let us pray. Lord, help us to walk away from those bad habits. Help us to walk away from those things that take us away from God that, that really do harm our, our witness to You. And help us to be a point of, of Your mercy and Your love, a place where Your love and mercy can, can catch on in our world, in our communities, in our relationships. Bless us, guide us as we seek to be those people especially right now, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.